The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. They'll be coming. You better hurry. Dawson, wait. Aren't you afraid? I mean, it's dangerous out there. You're not going to have the security of the inner circle to protect you. I mean, how, how will you live? You're right, it is dangerous. But that's part of being free. The willingness to live with danger. Dawson, listen to me. You are not prepared. That's why the inner circle was created to be a haven. You made one decision on your own. Now make another. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 1st, 2024. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be a lot of people are beginning to take their first steps into the political arena, no doubt in the hopes of preserving or recovering some of their fundamental freedoms thanks to the unconscionable state of tyranny our current crop of politicians are intent on enforcing. Whether these folks like to admit it or not, by doing so, they have entered the field of fringe politics, at least to the extent that they are attempting to do politics by avoiding the entrenched politics, and political parties of their country or province. Their experience reminds me of my own going back to the late 70s and early 80s, and I would like to think that my own experience in this regard might be of great help to them. But as they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. Now this past weekend saw an event billed as the Coots 4 Convoy, featuring numerous speakers and musicians working to draw attention to four political prisoners held in Canada without bail, without a trial, without any particular provable act of wrongdoing on their part, other than having participated in the Ottawa Freedom Convoy held a few years ago. Among the speakers attending the event were Pastor Artur Pulowski and Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who have both been guests on our own show not so long ago. Over the course of today's show, I'll be featuring some of the comments and suggestions that they made at that event. And I have to warn you, when it comes to politics, they haven't got a clue of what they're talking about. And I regret having to say this, but I say it with a great deal of confidence, since I myself was once in the same state of misunderstanding. And I can think of no one else on this planet who has had a greater and longer term experience on the front lines of fringe politics, a good half century's worth, than myself. And for those who are unaware, I am a founding member and have been president of the officially registered Freedom Party of Ontario since 1984. And you know what? Political conditions in Canada and in Ontario were the same back in the 1970s and 80s and 90s as they are today. But more to the point, although Freedom Party has yet to win a seat, we did win every ad hoc campaign run by the party over decades, having in the process saved Ontario taxpayers literally billions of dollars, protected freedom of speech and association, and even successfully defended an innocent man accused of racism before an Ontario Human Rights Commission. We demonstrated our principles and practice, and not by mere protest, but by action and success. 
All of this is fully documented in audio, video, and print on the homepage of Freedom Party at freedomparty.on.ca. So, I have some serious criticisms and some good advice to offer those on the right now entering the field of politics, perhaps reluctantly, for the first time. And you know something? <laughs> My sense is that it won't be appreciated. And I think you'll understand why. Right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Robert Vaughn and I were sharing our mutual frustration <laughs> over the fact that most of the political and social revelations being discovered today by a host of social media sites were already identified, quantified, and rectified over the past several decades of this show's broadcasting history to say nothing about our own work with the Freedom Party of Ontario. Freedom Party was founded on the first day of the Orwellian year, 1984, on the principle that, quote, every individual in the peaceful pursuit of personal fulfillment has an absolute right to his or her own life, liberty, and property, end quote. And the briefest expression of Freedom Party's platform was expressed as, quote, Freedom Party believes that the purpose of government is to protect individual freedom of choice, not to restrict it, end quote. Now, both of these expressions represent what we consider the true right. In every respect, every other political party I am aware of has a platform that is exactly the opposite of Freedom Party's. Parties of the left believe that the purpose of government is to restrict individual freedom of choice and not to protect it. And this is exactly what we see them do, without exception, including many of those who like to think of themselves as right-wing, quote-unquote, although they're ashamed of even grasping that label. So what do you suppose the most important and fundamental policy for a party representing individual rights might be? Well, freedom of speech, of course. And when we chose to adopt freedom of speech as a fundamental principle of the party, we would never have predicted the issues and controversies that this would get us involved with. We addressed the federal government's Fraser Committee on Pornography and Prostitution way back in the 1980s, in which we opposed any government restrictions on adult consensual behavior and found ourselves opposed by groups like the London Catholic Women's League of Canada, as well as by the feminist groups like the London Status of Women's Action Group, who argued porn was a form of hate literature. In a January 30, 1984, London Free Press article bearing the headline, Young PCs Look at Censorship, two out of three speakers favorite, the writer Anne Murphy quotes Randy Bocock, president of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Association at that time, who spoke on the philosophy of censorship. Quote, a society could not survive without censorship because it helps to create a uniform morality so people can know how far they can go, he said. London bookstore owner Mark Emery and Robert Metz of the Freedom Party argued passionately against allowing the hysteria over pornography to trample the freedoms of individuals to choose what they will read, hear, or see. As Mark Emery sees it, censorship of any media, movies, newspapers, magazines, or records is a violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
He blamed feminists and Christians for pressuring politicians for greater controls because they see such materials as a threat to their lifestyles and morality. Metz said that Canadians already endure controls on what they can see that stretch from a prohibition of cartoon crime comics, I forgot all about that, to television commercials that say drinking beer is fun. Yet despite the incredible maze of bureaucracy and legislation that exists to control our freedoms of association, thought, conscience, religion, and expression, we are still confronted by various interest groups, politicians, and individuals who have reached the remarkable conclusion that what we need in this country is more controls and more censorship." End quote. Now another group we found ourselves being attacked by over our freedom of speech platform was, of all groups, Benai Brith, which was something I never understood given my belief at the time that of all groups, Jewish groups would be in favor of free speech given how theirs was so curtailed during World War II. I discovered later that their opposition to us was over something new called Holocaust denial, which to them meant that people like Ernst Zundel, who questioned the six million figure representing the number of Jews murdered by the Nazi regime, should be censored. And I recall back in the days when I was a guest panelist on Left, Right, and Center with host Jim Chapman, asking Jim if there was any way he could account for Ernst Zundel having been placed in solitary confinement in a Canadian jail after having entered the country from the U.S. We were each at a loss to explain the government's fear in this regard. Zundel himself had contacted me several times to warn me about what the Canadian government was planning to do. He was twice put on trial and convicted for Holocaust denial, and his lawyer, Barbara Kolaska, sent me a copy of the trial transcripts, along with all of the evidence that certainly gave weight to Zundel's argument. And by the way, as I've been informed later, the decision against Zundel was eventually won in the Supreme Court. But I once recall Zundel being interviewed by Jim Chapman on CJBK Radio, and anti-Jewish he definitely was not. His dispute was solely with the six million figure being used to calculate Germany's reparation payments that it would have to make to Israel, and his opinion was that the real number was less than a million, hardly something worth arguing about in terms of freedom of speech issues. These kinds of state reactions to information or opinion always beg the question, don't they? If a person is presenting false information and you know that this is so, then why not just correct the information with the true information? You never get an answer to that. Then there was this weird case. Dated November 1st, 1999, the following letter was delivered by London, Ontario Police to members of a group called the Northern Alliance, which read as follows, and I quote, Members of Northern Alliance, the London Police Service has identified you and several others as members of the Northern Alliance, an organization which holds extreme right-wing beliefs. As an identified member, we require you to attend London Police Headquarters on Sunday, November 21st at 2 p.m. The London Police Service has organized a meeting with you and other members of the Northern Alliance to allow you to express your point of view, end quote. When I had first had that letter brought to my attention by Northern Alliance leader Raphael Bergman back in December 1999, I thought it was a joke, until I personally phoned the letter writer, Detective Superintendent David R. Lucio, Criminal Investigation Division. In a December 4, 1999 London Free Press article under the headline, London Police Violating Right Group Charges, writer Brody Fenlon 
reported that, quote, the Freedom Party sent a letter to Ontario Solicitor General David Tsubishi on Monday demanding a list of left and right-wing beliefs considered extreme by the Ontario police. A spokesperson for Tabushi said the ministry wouldn't be able to comment on the issue until Monday. Northern Alliance was a loose-knit group of Londoners who met weekly at coffee shops and bars to discuss topics such as politics, racism, immigration, and the Ontario Human Rights Commission, Bergman said. End quote. And on December 8, 1999, former Ontario Attorney General Marion Boyd was quoted as saying, quote, to suggest we've got a police state and that we're trying to suppress everyone's political views is itself an extreme view, end quote. And then there was another issue we got involved with over censorship, one that would never have occurred to me, and that was the Carla Homolka trial, where Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo were accused and convicted of murdering three girls. Reads the headline, Defiant former police officer refuses to end battle over ban by Rob Cribb, London Free Press, December 5, 1994. Quote, Dom, a retired Ontario provincial police officer, is now one of the most outspoken critics of Homolka's manslaughter conviction in the deaths of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. Members of the Freedom Party unanimously called on the Canadian government to stop imposing control over trial information. What they're banning here is the truth, said Robert Metz, a founding member and president of the London-based party, which was founded on a platform of protecting individual rights. Our government is saying it's okay to spread rumors and gossip, but if you tell the truth, by God, we're coming after you. End quote. And then there was this story. Quote, this is a headline. Hamilton City Council voted unanimously to ask the Ontario government to ban Freedom Party's BIA package, which stands for Business Improvement Area. Freedom Party looks forward to facing charges under Section 177 of the Criminal Code, spreading false news, end quote. And that appeared in the summer 1987 edition of Freedom Flyer. Now, have you noticed a haunting consistency to each of these free speech issues? They're all about a fake news media and state attempts to suppress anything perceived as being on the right or opposed to government views. It's the very conflict that continues to this day. And finally, on the censorship theme, here's a list of political books seized by Canadian Customs between December 1983 and January 85 that Freedom Party published back in 1986. And just get a load of these titles. Are you ready for this? All America Must Know the Terror That Is Upon Us. The Anarchist Cookbook. Behind Communism. Britain's Blunder. Deadlier Than the H-Bomb. Germany and Peace, A Soldier's Message. The Hidden Hand. History's Most Terrifying Piece, The Hoax of the 20th Century, The International Jew, Jewish-run concentration camps in the Soviet Union, Journal of Historical Review, Library of Political Secrets, Proclamation of London of the European Liberation Front, The Myth of Marxism, The Nameless War, Nazi gassing's a myth, none dare call it conspiracy, the Red Fog Over America, The Rulers of Russia, Sacred War Speech, August 7, 1983, The Secret Powers Behind the Revolution, A Straight Look at the Third Reich, 
the truth about the protocols, the ultimate world order, Zionism rules the world, political secrets, and finally, 12 underground facts of the Watergate affair. Those book titles read like the daily topics being discussed on Alex Jones and a myriad of other social bloggers today. And that brings us back to the events of this weekend, and coming up next is the voice of Pastor Archer Pulowski, as heard on the Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson show of January 27th. We must counterattack this, and we can do it. You see, this is the this is the saddest part of the story, Laura. We can actually do this. We can turn this tide around. We can flip the tables on the globalists. We can do this. There is more of us than of the globalists. Combined together, yes, we think we don't have enough resources. No, that's not true. When we come together, combine our resources, we are stronger and more, more powerful and richer than the globalists. We just don't realize that because individually, we are like one ostrich here with a bomb sticking out and another ostrich over there with the bomb sticking out and they just come and do whatever they want. Hmm. I say, look what's happening in the United States of America. I'm so excited, finally, Americans are taking it to the borders. The executive order of that psychopathic guy that doesn't know if he's in China or in America, Biden, he says, I'm going to punish the governors. What? Come, bring it on. Mm-hmm. See, Americans are on a rise. Mm. Canadians must follow. Two years ago, this is an anniversary of the truck convoy. Two years, we inspired the whole globe. We inspired the entire world. Now there are others that are inspiring us. Let's not be the ostrich. Let's follow. Look what's happening in France. Look, look what's happening in Germany. Polish uh, farmers joined the Germans. This is an up, a global uprising. This is our momentum. Do not go back to your stupid hockey games. Don't go back to the restaurants. You know what? If you want a steak, I cook you one which is the best ever. You don't need that stuff. Go and let's unite in solidarity and let's plow, keep plowing. Don't just sit, okay, it's nice because I can go and yell at the hockey game. You can yell in my house if you want. Um, the politicians, instead of suffering, in quote, with the rest of us, what do they do? They raise taxes so we suffer more and then they give themselves uh, um, even you know, more salary. They're raising their salaries as we speak. And, and for whatever reason, there is this disconnect between the people that for whatever reason do not see what's going on and, and, and the politicians and the people like me and you because we are trying our best to slap them in the face. I just did that here. You see, I was probably the only person that took an aim at the UCP. Listen, those are the rapists that were raping us for the past three and a half years, and you voted them in. They did not change. They're still raping us. They're still, you know, um, raising taxes, still muzzling uh, people in the hospitals. And I asked people in the church this morning, I said, okay, let me ask you a simple question. Are you better off with the UCP government that you voted back in um, a year ago or you worse? And every one of them said, no, we are worse. That's the reality. And somehow to get that reality to people's heads is difficult. But I do believe more and more people are being awakened, but they are being awakened um, 
by a slap in the face or a punch in the nose. They're bleeding and they're realizing, oh my God, those saviors are not saving us at all. They're actually the villains. So I just spoke at the, at the rally here and I looked at the people's faces and some were really, really not happy with me. I don't really care. I'm not running for a popularity contest. I'm not running for anything. I mean, if you don't want a man like me, don't. Keep, keep Daniel Smith and Pierre Polyev, which is the same thing. They are playing the game of the same coin, the good cup and the bad cup. They're all corrupted cops. You don't believe me? Fine. I it's just want to ask, why has Danielle Smith not done more for the Coots 4? Uh, I, I uh, never hear her talking about it. Why? Like this, this is injustice and she's not saying anything really. Oh, I tell you, um, I'll tell you right away why. Because there was a meeting that I was, um, I was told about actually from someone that was there. And um, here is what the meeting was all about. The minister sat with Daniel Smith, newly elected premier of Alberta. And here is what they said to her. Listen, you're not going to do anything with the amnesty. You're not going to do anything with the COVID craziness. You're not going to do anything about that. Why? Because if you do anything about this, that will send a message to Albertans that we're guilty. And we will not allow you to jeopardize our career. It's all about money. Uh, we have this Polish saying, if you don't know what this whole thing is all about, it's always about money and power. Money is power. Money is control. Um, so she was told during the meeting with her ministers, and you got to remember also that the same people that did this to us, the same ministers were appointed by Daniel Smith to be the ministers after she was elected. So the same people told her, listen, don't you dare do anything about this because then you will throw us under the bus. And she said, okay. I want and that's exactly what is happening so that's why she's look today we are fighting for the life of four pro political prisoners guilty or not the due process is supposed to happen innocent until proven guilty which has been denied to Canadians uh, not one politician showed up not Laura not one single MLA or member of parliament came why we had thousands of people that participated today in a truck convoy where are the politicians where are the representatives of the people not even single one of them but i'll tell you what daniel smith is doing today are you ready yep <laughs> she is fundraising in cameras right now as we speak right now instead of fighting for the man that has been kept denied bail while pedophiles and murderers and drug dealers and you, you name it, drama beaters are let on bail. She's fundraising right now, making money for the UCP Nazi government. Um, this is the reality, and I don't know how to articulate this in a more simple way for Albertans to realize, for Canadians to realize, you're being played like a fiddle and you're dancing according to, to, to the globalist uh, tunes. I think what, what has to happen Unfortunately, I think the people have to suffer. There is no other explanation. I believe that Canadians have to. There is no other way. They have to suffer. They have to lose their homes. They, just like the Polish people did when the Soviets took over in 1945. I just don't see it another way. There is no logic behind their actions. They vote because of money, not because of who is good. 
uh, they settle for the lesser of two evils. Uh, whereas the opposition during our greatest attack on our liberties in the history of our great country, where was Pierre Polyev when we were bleeding on the streets of our cities? Where were where was the opposition? Where was the conservative federally? Where was the conservative party in Alberta? Well, oh, they were the ones arresting people, right? Um, until this, you know, people can listen to what I say. However, from here to here, to their hearts, it looks like it's the longest uh, journey. You know, I gave them an option. The option is still on, on the table, but I think I have to wait. People like me, Laura, like you, like, uh, like Maxime Bernier, Derek Sloan, I think people like us, we are ahead of our time. I think we have to wait for the people to hurt, really hurt, and maybe they will uh, revisit their options and they will come back to people like us and say, you know, you were right. It's not happening yet because you see, as long as the Canadians have their restaurants, hockey games, entertainment, Netflix, all those different things, it's not going to happen. They have to hurt, just like the Polish people in 1980. When Polish people came to a point, they were pushed to a corner that there was nothing more to lose, revolution started. So in a, in, in a weird way, I don't want this to happen, but it must happen if we do care for our children. So think about it. Yes, we will suffer, but our children will have free country. That's what's at stake. And unfortunately, people have to hurt for them to wake up. So what I'm saying is rise up, stand up today or else. When the people here, a man like me, they said, you're crazy, you're delusional, you know, um, you're a conspiracy theorist. Okay, fine. Everything so far that I have been saying came to pass. And if I could get away with this, I would come and slap every Canadian in the face and some of them would get a bloody nose from Ardupolowski to awaken them because I don't know what else, what is going to take for Canadians to rise up and stand up against this. Right, we are heading into federal election and what do I hear? I hear a new savior emerging, Pierre Polyev, that was trained by Schwab, is part of WEF, and I just shake my head. People, you are extremely stupid. You're so extremely stupid I just don't get it. I don't understand. How ironic that Artur's accurate observation that people are stupid is something he says he doesn't understand. Given his own personal background, having lived under a totalitarian system of government, that should have been his starting point of any effective strategy. Arguing that people have to suffer in order to see reality and the truth is nonsensical. I've never understood that form of logic. Suffering has never been a path to knowledge, let alone to individual freedom. People who are in pain are among those least likely to make long-term rational decisions. Given all the suffering caused by politics the world over, you'd think that by now the whole world would be living in freedom, if suffering is the means to arrive at that end. For a clearer understanding of the nature of human stupidity, I would draw everyone's attention to our broadcast of January 11th, coincidentally titled, Stupidity, Socialism's Moral Defect. And just as a brief summary, this from our blog post of that show. Quote, When you're dead, you don't know you're dead. The pain is felt by others. The same thing happens when you're stupid, end quote. Now, Arthur Pulowski's frustration and suffering is a perfect example of this phenomenon. Trying to wake up the stupid with slaps in the face and punches in the nose is not a very enlightened approach to advocating freedom. 
But that's not what Pulowski and Dozens Like Him are doing. They're all running away from one form of tyranny right into the hands of another form of tyranny, but never towards freedom, which they never define, they never make it clear, they don't really know what direction to run in. And so they always end up in yet another form of tyranny, though perhaps one less intense than the one that they left behind. Eventually, though, they'll be faced with the same crisis. This strikes at the heart of what was experienced in Nazi Germany, thanks to the seemingly willing support that so many German people gave to Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor, theologian, and anti-Nazi dissident, believed that this was not a consequence of malice, but of widespread stupidity. While in a German prison during the Hitler years, he formulated a theory arguing that we must seek to understand the nature of stupidity, as stupidity is not an intellectual defect, but a moral one. Stupidity, therefore, is a much more dangerous enemy than malice, because you can expose malice and argue against it and even use force to stop it. But this is not possible when you're dealing with stupidity. You can't fix stupid. One has but to look at all of the utterly stupid ideas and causes, and quite demonstrably so, being supported in today's zeitgeist. From COVID to climate change, these stupid fictions continue to be believed by a significant number of people who, as a result, become a danger not only to others but to themselves as well. But having chosen to be stupid, they're oblivious to that reality. Moreover, the phenomenon of stupidity, observed Bonhoeffer, is most predominant among people living in groups and collectives, and very rare in independent individuals or those who generally live alone. This suggests a strong psychological force at play and goes a long way towards explaining why the collectivist left, which includes communism, socialism, and fascism, promotes so many genuinely stupid and immoral ideas, policies, and ideologies. So calling for unity and solidarity in larger collectives seems to me to be inviting even more stupidity. Solidarity to do what? What is the specific action plan, please? What can actually lead towards freedom rather than away from it? Now, not all stupidity is a consequence of a moral defect. As I pointed out earlier, we're all born stupid, in the sense that every individual is born in a state of tabula rasa when it comes to what he or she knows about the world into which they were born. Bill Maher actually touched upon this phenomenon a couple of years ago when he had this to say. Presentism means judging everyone in the past by the standards of the present. It's the belief that people who lived 100 or 500 or 1,000 years ago really should have known better. Which is so stupid. It's like getting mad at yourself for not knowing what you know now when you were 10. Who doesn't have moments from your past that make you cringe? Who hasn't said, I can't believe I said that? I can't believe I wore that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I did that. I read Ayn Rand. <laughs> I smoked. I was into numerology. Yes, because we hadn't then grown into the persons we would become. And humanity writ large is just the collective version of that. 
Oh, what an irony that Bill Maher would compare reading Ayn Rand, whose name he didn't even pronounce correctly, to smoking a numerology. Talk about stupid. But on the knowledge front, he had a point. Now, I entered politics in the state of stupid because I knew absolutely nothing about politics or political parties other than what was being spewed in the pages of the mainstream media, which, of course, has always been political propaganda. You know the saying, ain't so much what people don't know that gets them into trouble, it's what they do know that just ain't so. Well, it all started back in the late 70s when I said yes to political activist Mark Emery when he asked me, as a personal favor, just to put my name on the federal election ballot for a political party I had never heard of, the Libertarian Party, a party that Mark himself had only discovered a short while earlier during the period he was an activist for the NDP. Once having placed my name on the ballot, I started realizing that I didn't want to limit my participation to that alone because with my name going public, there are going to be some people asking me what I thought about the political situation about which I knew nothing. <laughs> so I approached Mark one day while he's standing behind his cash register at City Lights Bookshop and I asked him what I might be able to say should an opportunity to speak publicly arrive. Mark turned around, grabbed the book off the shelf behind him, and told me to read three chapters in that book, which was called Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal by Ayn Rand. And I'd never heard of Ayn Rand up to that point. So I did so. And at my first public appearance at a businessman's luncheon, I got a standing ovation from the crowd while my political opponents suddenly found themselves under fire. I had no idea what I had done or accomplished. Little did I know at the time that that experience would eventually lead to the founding of the Freedom Party of Ontario, and which, even as a never-elected political party to this date, accomplished more in the direction of individual freedom, lower taxes, and protection of individual rights than all of the other parties, elected or otherwise, in the province combined. And every minutia of this effort and result is documented, as I said earlier, at freedomparty.on.ca. So why haven't more freedom-minded people hopped on the bandwagon of Ontario's Freedom Party? The sad reality is that most people don't want freedom. In fact, most don't even know what freedom is as they shout the word at the top of their lungs. Yes, people are extremely stupid, especially when it comes to the nature of politics or to the principles of individual freedom. One cannot possibly achieve better government by constantly tinkering with the structure of that government or with the electoral system of that government, which is what I'm hearing from all kinds of people right now. So coming up next, from the Coots 4 convoy event held in Alberta, on this side of our bumper, Dr. Roger Hodkinson. And on the return side, once again, Arthur Pulowski. Okay, I know we're talking straight, so close your ears. Why are we here today? Yes, to support those four guys, five guys, I get it. But why are those five guys in jail? Because there's a show in Ottawa. When I was in Ottawa on the deck and we drank Petrid in Victoria, I was a flag-waving patriot. But no more. Anyone that thinks that you can negotiate a better outcome with Ottawa, is dreaming in Technicolor. You're pissing up a wall. It will not happen. So that thing up there, 
If you hold it, hold it upside down. Because Canada is dead. The final nails in the coffin need to come from Alberta by declaring an independent republic of Alberta. As Paul Alexander says, we need to burn all the institutions down to the studs, every single one of them. The law courts, the police, the media, the colleges, physicians included, they all need to be burned down to the friggin' studs and re-established along the lines of traditional democracy. That is the only way. If we do that, which is very achievable, remember Quebec came within one percentage point of being independent. One percentage point. Rural Alberta is strongly outside. We can do this providing everyone stops whining and acts. They need to get off their ass and actually get involved in politics, in school boards, in constituency associations. It's not enough to attend meetings like this. You've got to get off your ass and actually do something. Because only by that will we achieve progress. When we take control of the courts, which we can do, I think the first law on the books in our, the Republic of Alberta should be capital punishment. In Britain, before they abolished capital punishment, the High Court judge would put a black thing on his head and he would say this, and I'd like this to rivet the attention of all the idiocrats that try to do this again, because they are murderers. 5,000 Albertans are dead today because of their actions. State-sanctioned murder. The High Court judge would say to the accused, convicted of murder, the following. You will be taken from this place to a place of execution. And there you will be hung by the neck until you are dead. God have mercy on your soul. Take him away. I'd like that to get the attention of the idiocrats that have brought this calamity on this province of Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, remember that three-letter word. Act individually tomorrow. Thank you. I believe economy is collapsing and I believe fiat currency is going to be shaved at least 30%. I'm telling you, people are about to suffer. And my question to the so-called freedom people and conservative is this. You have given a you have given a chance to the UCP a year and a half ago. Is your life better or worse? I mean, it's a very simple question. You have chosen an entity to bless you, to support you. Is your life better or worse? Because what I'm hearing around is a lot worse. So where is your savior, Daniel Smith? 
Where is your UCP that's supposed to protect you and save you and bless you? Because I don't see any blessings. I see lots of blah, 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 blah. I see lots of intent, in, 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 incentives being given to people. But as a whole, we are a lot worse than we were a year and a half ago. Well, but you know, Pastor Art, her, lings, her wings have been clipped. It's not her fault. Well, you know, I find it fascinating that um, a premier could arrest pastors, premier could destroy economy, premier could unleash hell on us politically, and another premier cannot undo the political damage that was done by the previous uh, politician. Listen, if you believe that, then you're absolutely plain stupid. Yeah, I said it. You're plain stupid if you really believe the lie. If a politician did it, politician can undo it. She is a boss of the Minister of Justice. She can direct her ministers and tell them, I'm passing an amnesty bill. I want this to be done with enough of witch hunt, enough of a, a persecution of political dissidents. That's it. If we are truly to move on, we must, we must finish the chapter. The chapter is not finished. We are here because four men are political prisoners, guilty or not. If they're guilty of their crimes, they will face justice. This is not justice. This is a witch hunt. This is political persecution. The, the due process is kicked out. Uh, the, you know, um, the idea that we used to have innocent until proven guilty is gone out the window. That's not Canada. That's not democracy. This is China, though. This is China, though. Yeah, that's right. Kanakistan and China, though. Yeah. So if you don't see that, there is very little I can uh, say or do. I see it because I grew up in hell. So when hell comes, I can smell it. And, and, and I, I would agree, and I think a lot of people do agree, that really um, the idea that this has protected us, you know, that it would have been worse had someone else been elected. We would have been worse off, um, and now we're better off. What are we pointing at at better off now? Lesser of two evils, right? Yeah. Better the devil that we know than the one that we do not know. You see, I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear it anymore. It's a propaganda. It's a big fat lie that got us in this problem in the first place. Good people do not vote for evil entities. Full stop. If you have voted for evil, you're evil. You're participating in evil. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And that last statement from Artur Pulowski was right on the money. And for his part, Dr. Hodkinson is certainly one angry fellow, and I empathize with that anger and frustration entirely. But his plan to have Alberta declare itself a republic is a rather self-defeating agenda if the desired result is any kind of entrenchment of individual rights and freedom. Remember, within the province of Alberta, its voters have constantly voted for collectivist political parties, including even the NDP. So as I see it, as an independent republic, it will become an instant banana republic, or perhaps more to the point, a canana republic. And pointing out that Quebec came within 1% of achieving independence is hardly an argument in favor of separating from the rest of the country. 
Quebec is and always has been a fascist province, even fining and jailing people for having non-French signs on their places of business and commerce. The Quebec government was possibly the most extremist entity in the whole country when it came to enforcing COVID lockdowns and mandated vaccinations. I mean, that was one of the main reasons that David Freiheit of Viva Fry left the province to live in Florida. Hodkinson calls on the burning of all state institutions, yet recommends that people get up and act in school boards, constituency associations, and the courts. What, the ones that were just burned down? I mean, none of this makes any sense to me. In a free society, for example, school boards would be abolished since they represent state control of education and of what is being taught in the classroom. Homeschooling and private forms of education are the only way to go in a free society and for an educated, knowledgeable society. Hodkinson wants to see these institutions, quote, reestablished along the lines of traditional democracy. End quote. Well, exactly what traditional democracy is he talking about? The fascist democracy that I've spent 50 years plus campaigning against? How about trying not a traditional democracy, but a real democracy, a true democracy, which, like the government itself, must be strictly limited in terms of its power and authority. In a true democracy, the standing rule is that no one may ever vote for any measure or law that violates individual rights in any way, period, full stop. In a traditional democracy, on the other hand, it's the exact opposite as we demonstrated with our censorship examples earlier. Democracy as practiced today is mere majority rule, and in a free society, no one rules anyone else. In a true democracy, people would be voting for the parties and candidates whose values they actually shared. In a traditional democracy, people vote against the party or politician they don't want to see elected, even if it means voting for another political entity that is no different than the one that they're throwing out. It's like the people who are voting for Polyev just to try and unseat Trudeau. And you know what? That's the classic definition of wasting your vote while being evil at the same time. Meanwhile, for his part, Arthur Pulowski began to get pointed in the right direction with his observation of how, quote, so-called freedom people and conservatives, end quote, ended up voting for the UPC and Daniel Smith. UPC, of course, standing for the United Conservative Party. So let me now state for the record, as if I haven't been saying it for years and years, that so-called conservatives and all variants of conservative political parties are the biggest enemies that those who are campaigning for freedom have. Conservatism is poison to freedom, and as Salim Mansour likes to remind us, conservatism is not a philosophy or ideology, it's an attitude. Moreover, while I can appreciate Pulowski's perspective when he says things like, this is China, if you don't see that, I see it because I grew up in hell. When hell comes, I can smell it, you know? But smelling hell is a far cry from getting into heaven. Having lived in a totalitarian country may certainly be one valid way to compare its conditions to the one you're in now, but just seeing the tyranny keeps one blinded to the path towards freedom. Now, I grew up among all kinds of Eastern Europeans, 
Hungarians, Germans, Romanians, Italians, Poles, who suffered through the Second World War, yes, suffered, and in other horrendous communist conditions, and while they all could describe their tyrannies, not a one had any clue as to how those tyrannies arose or why Canada and America were so much preferable in political terms than the tyrannies. I had conversations with dozens of them. Some of them were still of the belief that Hitler and Mussolini had a lot of the right ideas. So that's where their suffering got them. And these are among the people who would be voting in our traditional democracy. Meanwhile, here I was, fortunate enough to live in a relatively free social condition under which I was not forced to suffer in order to see how that freedom was being eroded to the point of fascism, a reality I had already discovered and concluded about in the 70s and 80s. Now, the only individual of whom I am aware that came from a totalitarian country and actually discovered and described the true nature and source of individual freedom was Ayn Rand, born as Alice Rosenberg in St. Petersburg, Russia. And she didn't arrive at her conclusions by remaining mired in her collectivist past. And just for the sake of the Bill Mars out there, who embarrassingly confessed that they read Ayn Rand in their immature years, let me make it very clear that every victory Freedom Party had on the political battlefront was the result of strictly following the philosophy of Ayn Rand. It is so powerful that most people cannot get their heads around it. In fact, in preparing for this show today, I had considered filling the whole hour with examples of all of the incredible political victories we've had, even when every other political interest and party was on the other side of the issue. Now, I'm not a lawyer, know very little about the law, and yet I was able to defeat a human rights tribunal when I successfully defended an innocent man brought before a so-called human rights commission tribunal. I just applied what I learned from Ayn Rand to those proceedings. And this was a victory that cost us dearly because from that day forward, the mainstream media stopped reporting on any of our activities, whether accurately or inaccurately. In fact, the front page article in the London Free Press on September 17, 1994, bore the headline, Commission Upset as Inquiry Clears Landlord of Discrimination. Nowhere in that article was Freedom Party or myself mentioned, even though we were the parties that won the case. The reason we won was because we exposed the criminality behind those trying to steal an apartment complex from its owner for the purpose of public and social and government housing. The London Free Press and pure fake news media style completely manufactured a fictional story against the landlord and then about me and about the Freedom Party, and that was the event that drew us into the case. But up until then, Freedom Party was in the news very regularly, usually being misrepresented, but still not being ignored. Ours was the party that ended the prohibition of Sunday shopping in Ontario, even though all of the other parties in the legislature, Liberal, PC, and NDP, were strongly opposed to doing so. How we did this and how we won hundreds of other similar campaigns is all documented online, including, by the way, our first campaign, which ended up preventing three levels of government from wasting $110 million to host the 1991 Pan Am Games in the city of London, Ontario. I could have spent the entire hour of this broadcast, and many, many more such hours, simply reviewing all of the various political victories we've had over the years, and may continue to do so from time to time on future broadcasts. But what I've learned about politics over the past 50 years are lessons that very few comprehend or understand. You know, politics is simple. 
It's just not easy. Trying to play democratic politics within an utterly fascist political reality is now the current challenge before us. So, what can people do? You have to start by learning and understanding what must be done before you can act to do it. We'll talk about that a bit when we return, but first, on this side of the upcoming bumper, reporting on Canada's National Citizens Inquiry, Ken Drysdale points out how most Canadians are utterly oblivious to their political electoral process, while on the return side, Michael Malice, appearing on Trigonometry, points out how everything in human discourse is based on some narrative, and how effective narratives are the key to successful persuasion. Do you think that Canada is forever changed because of what we've been through? Um, are we going to be smarter? Because you know they've got disease X coming. You might have to do another, you know, <sighs> discovery on, on how, they, well, how they treat us during disease X and the fear-mongering that's already going on about that. Absolutely. They, you know what, right now, right now the message the government has is they can get away with this. Because Canadians, you know, Canadians think that it's over and they want to get on with their lives. But the problem is, is that they're, they're, they think it's over because they're not watching what's happening. You know, listen to what's going on in, in Davos right now. Some of the insane things that they're talking about. And, and you might say to me, as one of, our, one of our members of parliament told me a couple of months ago, he said, and I asked him about, about the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and he said to me, Ken, don't worry about the, the, world, the, 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 the world Economic Forum. He said, they're just like the Lions Club. They have no power. I'm a, he said to me, I'm a Lions member. It's the same thing. Don't worry about it. As long as Canadians think that and they're not watching, you know, you're not watching what's going on in municipal politics. You're not watching what's going on in your schools. You know, you're not getting involved in the election process. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on where they call elections, believe it or not, by elections. And a week later, it happens, and people don't even know what's gone on. And so that will not stop unless folks start getting involved in the grassroots. You can't believe how easy it is to get involved at the grassroots and start to take some of this over. But until, Can so until Canadians do that and take that step, it's just going to keep going downhill because they're not afraid of you. If you're not, if you're not taking your power, they're not afraid of you. One of the things that we're talking about at dinner is there's lots of stuff that we have a conventional narrative about. Yes. That I, is, I, I think well, I'm going to cut you off just... No, I, go, no, no, you help yourself, man. Because yeah, it's I fine. think everything has a conventional narrative. And at a certain point when people become what's called red-pilled, you have that moment where you're like, oh, crap, like literally everything I've taught is a narrative. Now, the narrative might be true, but it is still a narrative because humans communicate not through reason, but through stories. Mm. Yeah, That's a really good point. Yeah. Story is a very powerful way yeah. of getting people's attention and actually of misleading people. Absolutely. And also because we are emotional thinkers, not rational thinkers, and that applies to all of us to some extent. So when you have a story that kind of makes sense and makes you feel a certain way, it's going to be far more persuasive than any charts and graphs, which can often be faked anyway. And also, as well, with a story, you can make it incredibly simple. It's the story of good and evil, you yeah, know, yes. the hero's journey. Yeah. Whoever the hero may be, we identify with the hero, and therefore it becomes emotional. 
and we don't want to new look at the nuance and complexity of the issue. The main nuance and complexity of political issues is that the average voter is looking for security, not for freedom. And the security that people seek from politicians only ever exists as an accepted narrative, and otherwise does not really exist in reality. So what's your story? Most people's story is that when it comes to politics, they want nothing to do with it. In fact, that was the very first reality that confronted us when we launched Freedom Party back in 1984. So much so that our first official door-to-door pamphlet began with the header, Maybe Politics Doesn't Interest You. So allow me to recommend, before I run out of time today, the written works of the following three authors, whose ideas and philosophies have had so much influence on my own. I have a fourth author to add to this list in a moment, but the three I have in mind right now are, of course, Ayn Rand, Isabel Patterson, and John McMurray. There are few other individuals I know of who could match their depth of understanding along with being able to articulate this understanding in a way that most people can grasp and comprehend. So if you want to get ahead of the game, that's a good place to start. Now, I have a great announcement to make. Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever, who has been both a guest and co-host on this show, will be releasing his book entitled Judge, Philosophy and Freedom in the First Person. And here's what he had to say about it. Quote, Some, if not all of you, will know that I've been writing a book of philosophy for the past ten years. Technically, a book about a new method of resolving long-standing philosophical problems. It will be released on Amazon, Kobo, Apple, and maybe Google Playbooks this coming Friday, February 2nd, which happens to be Ayn Rand's birthday. You may want to know my motives for writing this book. My first is to give serious thinkers the tools that they need to strike away the misleading philosophical lines of thought that have left more than a dozen very serious and very long-standing problems unresolved, many of them for millennia. Second, to arm advocates of individual freedom with the intellectual guns they need to slay their irrational collectivist opponents. And third, to demonstrate especially to advocates of individual freedom, that one cannot effectively promote individual freedom by isolating one's efforts to issues of political philosophy. I thank all of you for putting up with whatever shortcomings, politically, my efforts to write this book may, in your opinion, have caused. Hopefully, though, I will have given you both a sword and a shield with which to oppose the enemies of individual freedom. I've poured my soul and time into this book, it's your magic wand. Wave it or tuck it in a drawer. I've led the horse to water. End quote. And you can bet that we plan to be drinking some of that water on upcoming broadcasts of this show. You know, sounds like a book that the government might want to ban. Yet another reason to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be some people don't think we evolved in the first place. Some people think that God made us all at once in one fell swoop and by himself. I think if he'd had a wife or a mate, there'd have been questions when he was working, wouldn't they? would be like, yeah. what are you doing? Creating man. Creating man. Oh, what's it got? What do you mean, what's it got? Has it got, like, claws and fangs? And... No, not really, no. Oh, has it got, has it got poison? No, nope, no poison. 
Oh, has he got armour like spikes? Nope, no armour. How will it survive? Ah, it's got the best brain in the animal kingdom. It'll work stuff out. It'll create weaponry to take down beasts a hundred times mightier than itself. It'll wear their carcass through the Ice Age. It'll go through famine. It'll go through world wars. It'll eventually start getting scared of words. <laughs> but... 